Brett the Wellness Base Camp hits your hometown of Adelaide this weekend. Oh, I'm so pumped, MP. The Brisbane Base Camp was a sellout and the feedback was inspiring. Christine said, keep up the incredible work and energy. You made me feel so, so good. Kira said, I loved all the speakers and the vibe in the room and there were so many aha moments. And Lauren said, no matter how many times I hear each of these people speak, I learn new things and always have action steps to take away. Oh, how inspiring is that, MP? It's great to see this event making a real shift in people's lives, Bretto. So jump on board for Adelaide folks, Kim Morrison, Damien Christoph, JP and Andy from Smashed Avocado, myself and the hometown hero, Brett Hill. Oh, MP. The Wellness Base Camp, Saturday, April 7 at the Arca Bar in Adelaide. Two for one tickets available with the code COUNTDOWN at thewellnessbasecamp.com on Eventbrite or search for the Wellness Base Camp Adelaide on Facebook. The code again is COUNTDOWN with the tickets available at thewellnessbasecamp.com on Eventbrite or by typing The Wellness Base Camp Adelaide on Facebook. TheWellnessCouch.com, streaming wellness into your life. Welcome to Wellness Women Radio for the women with big dreams who dare to be different and who want to thrive in health, work and play. Dr. Ashley Bond and Dr. Andrea Huddleston bring you a weekly podcast to help you master true health and create an exceptional life. Hey there, wonderful listeners. Thank you for joining this week on Wellness Women Radio. I'm Ashley. And I'm Andrea. And I think uh, we don't have a listener question this week, do we, Andrea? Uh, well, I think we are combining a whole bunch of listener questions. Oh, yeah, because this, this is like the big listener question. And normally we yeah. do our little in the spotlight section where we can answer your questions in, you know, a quick sort of two to five minutes that uh, we can give you that information so you can tune in and hear your question read out. So, ladies, if you do have questions for us, please shoot us through uh, a message at info at thewellnesswoman.com.au. Let us know what you'd love to hear more about. Let us know what you'd love us to expand on so that we can uh, answer your questions and they will hopefully be featured in the in the spotlight segment that we do uh, each podcast. But this week, because we've had quite a few questions on this very topic and uh, we know that it's one we should have covered a lot longer before now, but uh, today we're going to go dive into probably one of the more important women's health topics when it comes to, you know, the this youthful image we have of fertility. Um, Equally as important is the phase in life where we experience menopause. So ladies, we're going to talk so much today about um, all of the things that, you know, cause menopause in terms of the I guess the imbalances that can occur, some of the natural solutions that are available to you and just some of the sort of traditions. I mean, I'm very interested in more the sociological aspect, cross-cultural interpretation and uh, I guess Mm. the, you know, how menopause is treated cross-culturally because we have this really Western notion of youth, um, whereas, you know, unfortunately by the time women hit menopause in in Western culture, we're thrown out on the scrap heap because we're no longer useful to society because we're not pumping out babies. and yet in other cultures, women, it's something they look forward to. They're revered because they, you know, they reach that state of menopause. So we also, you know, want to have a little chat about some of those notions of what is menopause and why are so many women so, you know, distraught by it and distressed by it and how can we make life easier that that transition is something to be proud of and to feel empowered by. Oh, I I love the sound of that. And um, Ash, you are so right when you say that the way we think about menopause in Western society is completely different to so many other uh, cultures, so many other traditional cultures where 
age and experience and wisdom is revered rather than youth. And it's really interesting that it's only really been in the last sort of 100 or so years that women have actually experienced menopause because prior to that, our life expectancy was so short. So essentially, we would be born, we would go through menstruation, we would have babies and die. So we wouldn't even live long enough to get to the transition um, or the experience that is menopause in the first place, which I think is really interesting as to why we now hold these cultural concepts of uh, putting women into that box that once they get to that menopausal phase that women will often think that it's you know, we associate it with being dried up, um, you know, no longer contributing to society, uh, withdrawn, uh, those sorts of things, um, which couldn't be further from the truth. And I think it's something as well that we we sort of forget um, why this has all come about. And like you said, one, we didn't live as long. And those who did were the ones who were considered the wise, the elder, you know, the ones that were sought for. And, and yet now, because we're collectively living longer, um, it's no longer respected the same way. I think it's just fascinating as well. I mean, the woman's body is the most studied. If you look at men's and women's, you know, hormonal health research and looking at fertility and stages through uh, life cycles, uh, it's the woman. <laughs> they pick on us. They, they constantly do all the research about the woman's body because of this idea that we're, you know, objectified in so many different ways. And I think if we can sort of start to debunk this notion that menopause is a negative, like we have, as soon as someone says menopause, I know most women will have a negative thought process right away rather than thinking, oh, awesome, you know, wonderful. They're like, oh, gosh, here we go. Oh, how are the hot flushes, you know, how are you sleeping? Like, And so the immediate impression of the word menopause is negative. Mm-hmm. And it shouldn't yeah. be that way. So hopefully today we can give you some ideas and tips and tricks and how to make it easier on you if you're going through that transition and uh, some of the reasons why menopause is something that we should celebrate rather than uh, condemn. <laughs> Exactly. Absolutely. And look, for any of you who are listening um, and for any of our mothers that are listening as well, I know that sometimes it's a little bit interesting or funny taking menopause advice or just, you know, learning about this from two women who are not in menopause or not in perimenopause um, or close to that yet. However, what we do know is that even though we haven't got to that, that mountaintop that is that menopausal change, we do have a really good understanding of that. And from the thousands and thousands of patients that I've worked with who have been through all sorts of horrendous menopausal type symptoms, anywhere along that spectrum of, like you mentioned, Ash, hot flushes to, you know, terrible fibroids and all sorts of different things, is that it doesn't have to be that way. And um, there was a workshop that I that I wrote called The Wisdom of Menopause. And funnily enough, uh, a year or so later, uh, the incredible Dr. Christian Northrup came out with a book called The Wisdom of Menopause. Um, and I thought that that was really funny and made me feel like I was definitely on the right track with that. But I'm not changing the name of my workshop <laughs> because <laughs> it really speaks to the fact that the body is never wrong and that the changes that happen at midlife are to draw your attention to areas in your life that have to change. And you get so many opportunities during your life to do that and your body will give you those signs and symptoms when we're uh, menstruating. So every month you get almost like a report card of how well you're adapting to those hormonal changes, how well you're taking care of your health and your lifestyle and how well you're honoring your body. And then when we get to menopause, if we pay attention to those things, then that transition should be a breeze. 
So we exactly. know. So we know that the women who transition through menopause the best are the ones who paid really close attention to their menstrual symptoms in the first place. And I love the way you describe that as a transition because these, you know, signs and signals of menopause don't last forever. They are a phase and each woman has an individual experience of that phase. And, you know, it all depends on her body, like you said, pre-existing health and current health, you know, the current overall health profile. And, you know, that has a lot to do with all the things we just discussed when we talk about just general fertility and well-being of women. Um, The same I guess things that impact the hormonal balance in a woman in a fertile age are the same things that influence the symptomatic expressions that happen through menopause. Exactly. And we forget that. We think, oh, well, I I got really bad, heavy period pain, so I can't wait to get menopause that I won't have to feel that anymore. Chances are (laughs) you're going to suffer through menopause um, quite simply because the imbalances that are causing that really heavy, awful period pain throughout your life are the same imbalances that are going to make chaos of the menopausal transition. Exactly. I love that. It's so funny how you say I uh, once I catch menopause because so women, so many women uh, actually use that terminology. <laughs> so once I catch menopause, once I hit menopause, uh, and it's not it's not an event. It is a transition. So mm. let's, uh, and this is what we're going to go over today. We're going to talk a little bit about what it actually means, the hormonal changes that happen at menopause. Uh, and we're also going to debunk a few myths around it. Like this is such a huge topic um, that we can't cover it all in one podcast, but we're going to give you a little, uh, going to help you to dip your toe in the water and give you a bit of a taste of it. So what I want you to understand is that there's phases when it comes to menopause. So there is the perimenopausal phase, which is the initial hormonal shift or change. And this can last anywhere from six to 13 years. So the average age that women start to transition into perimenopause is about 45, give or take five years. Um, it also can depend on uh, what time your mum went through menopause as well. So that, that can be a pretty good indicator as to what age she went through as to what you might be expecting as well. And then menopause, all it means is simply your last menstrual period. The average age that this happens for women is about 52. And it it then means no period for 12 months. That's all it means. So menopause is a retrospective diagnosis. Mm. It does not mean hot flushes, mood swings, low libido, depression, anxiety, memory loss, bone loss, hair loss, weight gain, vaginal dryness, vaginal atrophy, and then this long list of horrendous symptoms that women associate with that menopausal transition. All it means is your last menstrual period. That's all. That's it. So those signs and symptoms that we were just talking about are signs of hormonal imbalance. And, and I think that's the, yeah. Yeah, that's the big thing we've got to get through, isn't it? And because this is something that comes up a lot in our, <laughs> our practices and with our patients is this idea that um, we associate menopause with the symptoms. Yeah. And therefore menopause is this prolonged, you know, horrendous event we all have to go through. It's almost like this misnomer, like they, you know, talk about pregnancy and, and birth process being labor. See, it's labor because of that, you know, difficulty and challenge and hardship that you have to go through. And it's like, well, why is it that some women then can express labor as not being laborious at all? And yet other <laughs> women have, you know, really traumatic experiences. And the same thing goes with this. It all comes down to 
the way in which we view it, and this comes also down to our societal norms. You know, society says in Western culture women have to suffer through menopause. And yeah, exactly. it's such a, such a terrible thing because, uh, okay, so throw this at you. How about this for a bit of research? There's ladies who've been uh, throughout the world been asked about these notions of what is menopause. Um, they interview women in Australia. They suffer from a myriad of physical and psychological difficulties at menopause. Then they went around and they checked women in uh, Philippines and they report no symptoms. In India, mild symptoms. In Japan, rarely mention hot flushes and there's no instance uh, as problems such as backache and headache associated with this menopausal experience. So, you know, like it's interesting, isn't it, that we can yeah. go and look across culture and depending on which culture you're from determines the experience of menopause for you. So, ladies, exactly. if, um, you know, if you feel as though all of these things, you know, you're blaming menopause, you're blaming this age, you know, period in your life, um, we need to kind of rejig your headspace there and say, hey, let's not blame menopause for all of these problems. Let's have a look at what's actually going wrong and let's, like Andrea said, look at the imbalances that are leading to this more symptomatic experience that you're having. Exactly. Yeah, I love that. And it's so interesting how different cultures respond or experience these transitions in their life as well. So that's awesome. And I love debunking, the, debunking these myths. And the other things that women often associate with menopause is that as soon as it happens, you need to be put on hormone replacement therapy or HRT. And yeah. that could not be further from the truth. And this is very much an almost like an 80s um, medical idea that as soon as you have a hormonal shift, then you trot off to your doctor and almost uh, dogmatically um, and quite aggressively, most doctors would put women on the exact same dose of HRT, um, mostly uh, an, like a, an estrogen-based HRT, like Primro or Provera, which comes from uh, the urine of pregnant mares um, or a pregnant pregnant horses. So if your native diet was, um, you know, grass or hay, then that might be appropriate for you. <laughs> but that's that's the uh, ingredients or the building blocks or the foundations that they get that estrogen from, which is really interesting. Uh, not a lot of people know that. That can be a bit of a shocking fact. So there you go. Um, so that is one of the belief systems that most women think that they need HRT. And the other thing is that they think that they'll also need a hysterectomy. And that is really, really sad um, that women have that belief system that they are no longer in control of their own body, that it's just an escalating medical crisis until they need all of this medical intervention in terms of hormone replacement therapy and then um, hysterectomies. So that could not be further from the truth. And let's look at the hormonal changes that actually happen at menopause so that you can have a bit of a better understanding as to what's happening in your body, but also why we refer to this as the wisdom of menopause as well. Um, because we're going to keep coming back to that idea because I really want you to understand that these signs and symptoms that your body is giving you are for a reason and this is not to be ignored. Love okay, it. let's get into it because I think if we can understand this, then we can put that whole picture together. And hopefully, ladies listening, you start to realize that uh, one, you're not alone because every woman across the planet, mm -hmm. if we get to this age, will have the opportunity to go through this period of transition, you know, that we yep. know, would know to be termed as menopause. It's not a disease or an ailment or an infliction. So we've got to stop treating it in this medical notion that it's something that's broken, that's got to be fixed. 
Um, and yeah. if we can sort of start to view it more holistically and understand this uh, biochemical cascade, this hormonal transition that's occurring, then it's like, oh, okay, so that's what's going on and let's look at some natural ways in which we can help this transition. So hopefully today we'll uh, help you feel a bit more empowered about this concept of menopause or if you're going through it, feel a little bit more you know, secure in the knowledge that it, it is a, an experience that you're going to go through and there is ways to make it feel a bit easier. Yes, absolutely. All right. So when we get into that perimenopausal and that menopausal time, there are hormonal changes that happen. Um, but I want you to understand that your body is completely designed to have hormonal balance through your entire life. So there aren't times of your life where your body is designed to have hormonal havoc, for example. Um, and just like a normal cycle, like a normal menstrual cycle is no symptoms, normal menopause or that transition into menopause is again no symptoms okay so if we've got hormonal balance we have an absence of those horrendous symptoms which is good so the first thing that happens is usually progesterone will decrease and progesterone is that hormone that's usually made in that luteal phase or that peaks in that luteal phase or that second phase of our cycle post ovulation um it is what I call nature's Valium. It binds to GABA receptors in your brain, which are the really cool chilled out neurotransmitters that keep you nice and balanced and level-headed, um, that keep your fluid balances in check and all sorts of things like that. So as progesterone starts to decrease, then estrogen also will do one of two things. So types of estrogen start to decrease and then increase. So there's three types of estrogen that your body makes. Uh, so there's estradiol, um, and this is the major form of estrogen, which is uh, mostly produced from your ovaries. And so this is the, so that's the E2 type of estrogen that is highest, you know, during our cycling years. And then there's estrone, which is E1. And this is the most abundant form of estrogen that's produced after menopause as well. So your body keeps producing it. Your ovaries don't dry up and just stop functioning. That's not how your body works. That's not how it's designed. So they don't, you don't become this like little dried up old shrew inside. It's just the function of that changes. So your estrone or E1 increases, and this is mostly released from our fat cells and our adrenal glands. And that's a really important point. I want you to remember that estrone, that type of estrogen also comes comes from our adrenals. Okay. That's a key point. And then we also have E3 or estriol, and that is made by the placenta when we're pregnant for the most part. Um, so we, we're not going to worry about that one right now. So typically our E2 will start to decrease and then E1 increases. And this is uh, metabolized by our stress hormones as well. So remember how I said that uh, your um, E1 is made by the adrenal glands when our stress levels are really high, then your adrenals are going to prioritize making stress hormones over making that type of estrogen, which is going to help us to be balanced. And then testosterone will either increase or decrease depending on the woman as well. Okay. So isn't that interesting, that connection to the stress response and stress hormones? And we talk about this um, difference between traditional and Western cultures and, you know, which culture is more typically more stressed and more prone to uh, burning the candle at both ends. And, of course, when we look in the mirror, we realize that most of us are running around like crazy, you know, headless chooks um, and just, you know, and just and burning through our adrenals. Yep. And then exactly. we wonder why our, our hormone chemistry is so wacky when it comes to our, I guess, sex hormones 
hormones. Um, and then, yeah, this is a, you know, a really good way. So ladies, you really should start to see now this connection between our estrogen balance and our adrenal function. Yeah. Absolutely. And the women who do menopause the best, yeah. um, and I'm going to put that in inverted commas, like do menopause the best, are the ones who take the best care of their adrenals. Yes. Okay. So they take the best care of their energy levels. They keep their stress at a minimum. But another key fact is the women who do menopause the best are the ones who stop self-sacrificing. Mm-hmm. So typically we have these themes in our life as women. So um, I know in lots of sort of new age spiritual circles, they, they call it things like we go through the maiden phase, which is where, um, you know, we start cycling, we're really youthful and energetic and, and you know, we um, call this like flirtatious and all of that sort of stuff and then we become the mother and that's where we completely burn our systems out. <laughs> And then after that, um, they call it the crone phase, which essentially is uh, where we, we think of almost like if you can imagine that that witch <laughs> or that, that crone, you, you shift uh, into that, that transition. Yeah. Um, but if you think about those transitions or those phases, when we think of the mother phase, this is where we are living for everybody else, right? This is where all of our lifeblood and energy goes into the raising of our children. And Ash, you will know this better than anybody. Um, you know, you're sleep deprived, you're energy deprived. Um, they, they are your essentially your heart walking outside of your body. So that is your time to go through that phase. And the thing that we don't tend to do, though, is ever stop doing that. So even when our children are growing or even if we don't have children, when we get to that phase of our life where we start to go into menopause or transition through that, a lot of women don't stop that self-sacrificing. They still put themselves last. They still look after their children, their husbands and their, you know, it could be their jobs or whatever it might be. But that self-sacrificing and self-depleting theme comes up in every single one of them. And how funny is that? Because a lot of women don't even get the chance to stop looking after their kids because there's so many adult children living at home. So, you know, like, exactly. Get them out of the house. <laughs> that's, that's my first piece of advice. <laughs> yeah. So um, that, that idea of having to, you know, allow yourself that space to, to look after you is very hard to achieve when you're still in a, a home life that requires requires you to look after everybody else and not to mention how many of our patients and we we both you know talk about this as something we see so often is women who should be transitioning through that menopausal stage they might have children who've just given birth to children suddenly they're grandparenting and the demands on them is from a grandparenting perspective so regardless if they had managed to get the kids out of the house you know at an earlier stage in their life they're suddenly thrust back into that because of their their sense of responsibility to help raise the grandchildren so that's you know really what prolongs that uh, exacerbated adrenal stress response that we instead of um, kind of going into a, a time in our life where we can create new interests and expand you know our, our life in different ways we're sort of still thrust into this high stress environment that makes it very hard to to achieve a transition through menopause in a way that other cultures describe as a non-event so exactly and the other thing that I want you to understand is that um, if you think about when a woman is cycling and she goes through that ovulatory period, right? So this is when your luteinizing hormone and your follicular stimulating hormone peak, and then you release the egg from the ovary. So when we go through that time, that is usually when women will be feeling the most energetic, the most connected, the most articulate 
their libido will be peaking. Um, they'll be more sociable, all of those sorts of themes. We think about that ovulatory time, right? Right. Plump and sexual. I think exactly. Always, you know, it's just, exactly. You know, just yeah. that, that sort of vital, vibrant, oh. feeling very, you know, sensual as well. It's awesome. Yeah, I love that. So hold on to that thought because I know that we all think of menopause as, you know, being dried up and low libido and vaginal atrophy and all of that sort of thing. But the interesting thing that happens yeah. when we get to menopause is so just think about when we're cycling. So we get that ebb and flow or that peak and trough of follicular stimulating hormone and luteinizing hormone. But then when we actually get to menopause, the levels of FSH and LH actually balance out, but they balance out at the level that is in line with what they would when we were actually ovulating. So if you actually think about what's actually happening for a woman who's going through menopause, if she is hormonally balanced, she has the possibility of having that sense and that feeling and that hormonal change of ovulation all year round, all the time, no peaks and flows. <laughs> wow. That almost sounds like a wonder drug. <laughs> and this is what I mean. Isn't yeah. that amazing that yeah. this is actually the possibility and this is what happens for women, but we associate it with such negativity instead. But we've got to remember that it's hormonal imbalance. It's creating those symptoms. So then can I throw a question at you? Because yeah. this is a question that I know we, we need to answer. Well, let's just say then we pop a, pop a woman onto a pill. Let's put her onto HRT. Does mm -hmm. she miss out on that? then oh does she miss out on the um fsh and the lh uh sort of balance yeah well that's a really good question because it's interesting that we think that hrt and its counterparts are necessities for when mm. we go through this transition transition and they're not they are options but they're definitely not necessities and yeah. it was really interesting if um if anyone's heard about the women's health initiative which was a huge groundbreaking research study um that came about I, i'm pretty sure in the early 2000s and um i should know this because i wrote a huge major assignment on it in particular <laughs> but essentially uh oh sorry so it started um in the early 90s i should say and what they were looking at was the effects of HRT on women because we had this belief system that as soon as your hormones start to change, you need to go on hormone replacement therapy because this was the primary prevention for things like cardiovascular disease and breast cancer and colorectal cancer and making sure that women don't get osteoporotic fractures and those sorts of things. So theoretically, it makes sense that if your, for example, estrogen starts to change, we know that that has bone protective effects, then we need to put them on um, you know, HRT and those sorts of things to protect themselves from that. So there was this huge groundbreaking study called the Women's Health Initiative or the WHI that was supposed to be a 15-year study um, conducted in the US by the National, health in National Institute of Health. And it was the biggest study ever done. So they enrolled almost 200,000 postmenopausal women between the ages of 50 to 79. Um, and they had a budget of like 600 and something million US dollars to conduct this study. Now, it was supposed to go for 15 years, but they had to stop it after five years because the women were dying. Mm. So we had this belief system that HRT was so protective, but what we actually found is that it increased their risk of coronary heart disease, breast cancer, stroke, 
and venous thromboembolism so dramatically that they had to stop the study cold turkey after five years, so after a third of the time that they were expecting to do it for. Now, isn't that interesting? And, you know, this resonates with so many other studies that come at different stages in women's life of this idea of when we start to play around with our hormone balancing um, artificially, synthetically, just, for example, like the oral contraceptive pill, there's so many associated risks And they're not uh, made clear enough to women. And I think that's a really interesting thing that, you know, through this menopause stage, again, we're still being sold this notion that a pill is supposed to fix us because we're broken. Um, And yet, you know, we it's because we haven't been educated in what a normal transition should be, how it should be experienced, and what we can actually do to improve that. I just always, you know, smile because I don't know if any of you sort of have your mothers, you know, maybe they went through it in the 60s and 70s. But you're talking about that cultural influence it all came down to the fact that they were selling women as being old, you know, dried up and um, no longer youthful. And this was like the, the the sexual goddess pill. This was like the pill to save your, exactly. you know, it was, it was to prevent the death of the woman within the woman. And I just thought, oh my goodness. And this is the, this is language. This is language coming yeah. off there. They're advertising it. It just makes you realize this has been such a pervasive an ongoing notion that menopause is a negative thing and a bad thing. And, you know, in this, in that, they were depicting things like in advertising of women losing their husbands because they're getting all old and shriveled up and they, you know, trading them in for a younger model. I mean, talk about putting the fear of everything a woman, you know, is worried about into this notion that it all comes down because it's your hormones. <laughs> Like, How gross is that? It's terrible. Oh, that, is, that is absolutely terrible. And I think one of the big fears for women as they um, go through menopause is that big libido change. You're absolutely mm-hmm. right. Yeah. Whereas th- women are documented um, being orgasmic throughout the entire their entire life. And um, funnily enough, the um, biggest dependent or the, the biggest indicator of better sex is actually a new partner. <laughs> funnily enough but women that doesn't mean you know go out and leave your husbands and get a new one because you can actually create or recreate that situation for yourself and you can be that new partner to yourself Mm -hmm. Um, but we might actually go through that in part two of this um, because there's lots of things that we can go through like for example um, talking about how to avoid weight gain during menopause uh, the uh, ensuring um, that beautiful sensuality and sexuality through that midlife as well um, which you know all women should absolutely have but it's interesting that the um that whi study was stopped so quickly because of the um detrimental effects and the uh, mortality that was associated with taking hrt whereas on the flip side of that some women did really well on it Mm. so some women do beautifully on hrt but i always say you need to be working with someone who really knows what they're doing you need to be monitoring your hormones while you're on it as well because there is no one size fits all the mistake that i think most people make when it comes to this is that will go okay so i'm going through menopause i'm going to take this pill at the exact same dose for the next 20 years and then i'll come off it or you know or the next five or ten years or whatever it might be but everybody is different everybody's hormonal levels and requirements are different so if this is a route that you want to go down for example if you want to look at bioidentical hormones uh, or something along those lines or even hrt you just need to make sure that you don't have the risk factors that that could be exacerbating and that you're actually using levels and types of intervention that are appropriate for you not that one size fits all medicine that we know is completely obsolete now and there is no wonder pill for this 
as well. No, and I think if we can sort of start to then have a look at um, some of the things you could be doing to, you know, transition well, um, because although, you know, it can be inconvenient and, of course, you know, a lot of women are really actually suffering in a way that's actually affecting their quality of life. And if that's you, then you need some strategies. You need to have these options as to things you could be doing to address some of the symptomatic um, problems you're, you're feeling so that you can kind of feel a bit more in control. You're not on this out of control roller coaster of hormonal you know chaos um, because we know lifestyle factors have a huge bearing on the expression of your health and you know this you know that if you eat a lot of crap food you don't feel good and you know that if you don't exercise then you're you're losing that fitness and that muscle tone and that strength and you, you're definitely not as as vibrant and vital as you could be so let's talk about some of those things specifically related to menopause that could actually make you feel a whole lot better and things that you can do without having to reach to the the pillbox to try and fix yourself awesome okay i love that so let's look at targeted lifestyle changes or or food-based things first yeah so my first thing is avoid coffee and stimulants. Mm -hmm. So not only because of the detrimental effects on your adrenals, but also because coffee has been shown to lower estradiol levels, which is our good estrogen. Uh, So just getting off that, ladies, I'm really sorry to say. Um, Try organic decaf or herbal tea instead. Um, Easy. So that's number one. Yep. So that's not too hard. I mean, well, it's hard yeah. if you're a coffee addict, but it's not too hard in the sense that you go, well, if you haven't quit coffee yet, then there's one great thing you can do today that's actually going to make you start to feel better. So there you go. I love that. I I mean, I don't promote this just during menopause. This is absolutely for life and this is throughout your entire life. And for me, it's always, you know, high volumes of organic fruits and vegetables and really, you know, making sure you're getting plenty of fibrous, uh, fibrous vegetables that are there to help your body function the way it's designed to because so many of us are filling ourselves up with unrefined carbs and all the other junk foods that we could, you know, use and eat every day, um, highly processed. And we know that has a negative impact on our health. We've discussed this I think just about every episode we've ever recorded um, because it just plays such a huge role in that. So, look, think about ways in which you can increase your daily intake of dark greens. I always say to people, look, you have got to eat a rainbow. You've got to think about how you can start to get, you know, rainbow-coloured vegetables into your life every single day of your life um, and make it enjoyable because veggies, you know, for most people I think it's boring, but it just means you haven't explored the possibilities yet. So get online, search up some vegetarian recipes, get yourself you know feeling creative and get inspired to add more whole foods into your life through you know locally produced great whole grain vegetables colorful vegetables rainbow vegetables like just get creative it's really fun yeah i completely agree we definitely need to increase our fiber intake big time this is something that's going to have a massive impact on your hormonal function that's for sure because it also helps to detoxify mm-hmm. uh, some of the uh, you know the bad estrogens for lack of a better word that's going to mess with your hormones um, okay so along those lines as well cut out gluten now i say for women who have uh, menopausal symptoms this is non-negotiable there's a really strong link between estrogen levels ovarian function and gluten sensitivity as well as your gut function so off the gluten um, you might want to include some whole soy now when i say that what i'm recommending is organic soy but fermented okay so not like soy milk but i'm talking about tofu miso and tempeh Mm -hmm. so beautiful fermented versions of soy when they've done the japanese or the studies on the japanese women who have you know essentially like a breeze through menopause it's not because they consume a lot more uh necessarily soy products but it's because their diet is much higher in good veggies 
as well. So that fiber intake too. Um, you can certainly add flax seeds to your meals. So flax seeds contain, contain um, lignans or lignans, however you say that, <laughs> which is an estrogen-like compound that has really lovely antioxidant effects. Um, so it's been, showed, uh, it's been shown that eating two tablespoons of flax seeds a day for six weeks can reduce hot flushes by half. So what I would suggest is add flax seeds to your morning smoothies, sprinkle them over your salads, all of those sorts of good things. Um, even maca as well. So adding maca to your morning smoothie um, has also been shown to improve hot flashes, anxiety, mood swings, and some of the other things that they associate with menopausal symptoms as well. If you um, don't know what maca is, it's M-A-C-A. <laughs> Just in case yes. someone's listening going, maca? Like, what's maca? Not, not McDonald's, like Aussie slang. Um, yep. M-A-C-A is what you can look up to find out more about maca. <laughs> Awesome. Yeah. Thank you for, uh, thank you for talking about that. Um, one of the juiciest things that I can recommend is orgasm. So female orgasm and stimulation helps to increase your estradiol levels. How cool is that? So ladies get, get busy, tell your partners to get busy. <laughs> um, avoiding alcohol as much as possible as well. We know that really messes with your estrogen levels. It's been shown to increase risks of breast cancer as well. Um, so I'm not saying cut it out completely, but avoid it as much as possible will be really beneficial for your, um, hot flushes and other types of symptoms. Um, and sorry, Ashley, were you going to add um, any other sort of go-tos for that one? Oh, always just going to your balancing omega-3 fatty acids. So yeah, for me, it's totally. always, you know, good whole fats, which you're going to get in the flaxseed, like you suggested. Mm-hmm. So that's one source of it. Um, but then, of course, you're looking at, your, you know, your fatty cold water fishes. They're always fantastic for that. Um can use supplementation that's always a nice option if you feel as though you don't like eating fish sometimes you know the high quality fish oil capsules actually don't leave you with fishy flavor so if you are someone who consumes fish oils and you feel as though you taste fish all day long there's often something wrong with the quality of the fish oil so uh, take care with taking fish oils but you can also have other cold pressed you know oils coconut um, extra virgin olive oil there's a lot of great sources of quality uh, fats and omega-3 fatty acids and vitamin e you know we talk about skin tone and elasticity and things like that so um, i'm a big fan of just making sure of really good quality fats and of course i know that weight gain is a big issue and frustration with a lot of women as they go through menopause so sometimes it mm-hmm. can be helpful to just monitor the calorie intake for period of time um, as you've transitioned through because it just helps you to reevaluate like when we sort of talk to women you know in fertility stages where we're saying look, don't count calories just do you know what's right for your body um, but I know in that stage a lot of women are really worried and struggling with their weight balance so you can calorie count just to get an understanding of the um, nutritional needs and then once you've got a picture of what that looks like, you know, how big your plate should look, all that, stop calorie counting. It just adds more stress to your life. And we're talking about how to reduce stress. So, yeah. um, you know, I'm a big fan of kind of getting a picture and then pulling away from that and just, you know, maintaining that quality balance. Yes, absolutely. Um, awesome. Uh, and exercise as well. So making sure that you're not over-exercising uh, because this will certainly have pretty detrimental hormonal effects for you, but make sure you're moving your body every single day. Um, so go gently, but um, what I would suggest is moving your body in a way like weight-bearing exercises, for example, lunges and squats and those sorts of things are amazing. It's also going to be really good for your balance and making sure that you're uh, getting that really good um, bone strength as well with weight-bearing exercise too. Cool. Uh, so make sure you're moving your body daily. Now, 
for women who do have, for example, um, really severe hot flushes, magnesium has been shown to reduce hot flushes, fatigue, um, sleeplessness, and those sorts of things in menopausal women. Uh, so make sure that you're using a good quality, um, preferably practitioner prescription quality magnesium, um, like a magnesium glycinate. Uh, Chinese herbs are amazing and I use a lot of these for hormonal symptoms. So um, I love like a Zizifus type combination, which has been shown to really alleviate the sleeplessness and the hot flushes, particularly at night as well. Um, vitamin E is actually one of the oldest remedies in the book for assisting with low estrogen levels. So um, have a look at your vitamin E uh, supplementation. And again, um, this stuff is like, you know, quality is king. You do get what you pay for, unfortunately. So uh, check out those sorts of things. Um, black cohosh is also amazing for menopausal symptoms. Um, your B vitamins, and the list goes on as well. Uh, a lot that's of just yeah, that's oh, sorry. Oh, a lot of women find a great benefit from eating primrose oil as well. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so, you know, sort of one of the more common ones that we talk about in my practice, and um, it's and again, these are all things that whilst they when I say they can work for every woman, but they don't work for every woman. So it's just about finding the combinations that work best for you. Um, but absolutely your your lifestyle factors, you know, your dietary food intake and your exercise and your, you know, I guess things that make you feel happy. So surrounding yourself with people you enjoy, um, keeping yourself active and interested in life. Uh, these also certainly help to reduce the menopausal symptoms because what's it doing? It's reducing your stress response. Um, you're feeling calmer, feeling happier, making good choices. So that's uh, there. I think they're the, probably the basics on how to. We'll dive deeper into our next episode on uh, menopause part two because I think there's a lot more we can cover on this one, don't you? Yeah, yeah, definitely. But ladies, yeah. um, the most important take home that I want you to do in terms of targeted lifestyle changes is from now on, carving out at least half an hour in your day that is you completely uninterrupted time. So you need to tell the family, work, whoever it might be, that that is absolutely your uninterrupted time where you get to do whatever the hell you want. So this is where you can be completely indulgent. You can run a bubble bath and have a glass of wine, even though we're saying uh, reduce your alcohol intake. But whatever it is that you want to do, not what anybody is telling you to do, but that is at a bare minimum your time and for any of kids or any of the kids that are listening or the daughters of menopausal women um encourage your mums to start to think about the things that they actually want to do encourage them to take more time out for themselves maybe spend more time with their girlfriends as well because we know that that's so important for our overall health and well-being too and just revere that wisdom and experience that they have because this idea of the wisdom of menopause, I actually got the idea because uh, it, I actually got it from there in certain types of Aboriginal tribes and culture. They see that transition into menopause happens when women can hold within themselves all of that wisdom and knowledge rather than having to let it uh, essentially flow away or leak out every month. So when they can store that wisdom inside themselves, that's when they actually stop cycling. And I love that. I think that's so beautiful and I think that's so representative of what this transitional period is for these women. And it definitely can be that springtime of their life, um, but it has to be when they stop self-sacrificing and they manage their stress levels. 
Um, so ladies, we're going to finish off on that note. We would love to know what your thoughts are about this. Make sure um, daughters, if you're listening, share this with your mums and aunties and, you know, vice versa. Um, and ladies, uh, yeah, communicate with us on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash the wellness women. Uh, you can email us if you've got any questions. So info at the wellness Make sure you're following us on Instagram, the wellness women official. Uh, if you've subscribed to us on iTunes or whatever platform that you're using, please give us a five star rating. That really does help um, spread that message. And because of that, uh, I, currently in the iTunes charts, we're seeing it like number six for health, which is absolutely amazing. So thank you so, so much. We're so grateful for your support. It really does mean the world to us. Uh, you can consult with us as well. So remember, we are here to help ladies. Uh, you can find out our details on the website. So thewellnesswomen.com.au. But until next week, ladies, be well. This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst the Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Wellness Couch podcasts.